I was uh, thinking about this this week, about three years ago, that I was um, serving in a church in Oregon, and uh, just through a series of things that had happened, some conversations had taken place, uh, some different things within the church, uh, decided that uh, it was probably time to start seeing what God had in store for me. I was praying a lot, God, show me where you want me to go, show me what the next step is. And, and uh, right around this time, three years ago, I'd actually been uh, talking with the church uh, in, in Illinois. And um, the week after I got back from that trip, uh, everything shut down. If you might remember, this little thing happened called COVID um, and uh, just kind of shut our world down. And, and so I quickly shifted my focus from... Maybe God doesn't have something else for me right now because I've got to figure out how to lead a church when all we can do is look at each other through a computer screen. And uh, I didn't learn that lesson in Bible college, by the way. They didn't teach that one, how to lead a church through a pandemic. Uh, but uh, we, we did. And, and as we kind of got through the, the, the gist of it, um, you know, started kind of hearing some different things from other people about possibilities. And, and when I was in Phoenix, Arizona, I got acquainted with a man named Todd Clark. A friend of mine, kind of a mentor to me, Todd, doesn't work directly for a church anymore. He, he preaches at a church in Chicago once a month, but T Todd works for an organization that helps churches find job candidates. He does the search for them, does the vetting for them, then we'll bring uh, a set of candidates to the church. And uh, around October of, of 2020, I was looking on the website that he has. Um, he told me about some opportunities to look at. And I found two church jobs in the Kansas City area. One was a teaching pastor job at a church that I cannot remember what it was called now or what town it was even in. And one for a potential transition into a lead pastor role at a church called Crossroads. That he said that would probably be a pretty good fit. And uh, brought my name to the elders. And then it was about, oh, I don't know, a month later or so, the week after Thanksgiving of 2020, that I had my first conversation on Zoom with Brad and the elders. And uh, it was kind of funny because I already knew something about their planned process before I ever had the first conversation with, with the elders. And uh, very quickly I learned, okay, well, here's, here's the deal. I've been taught something my whole, whole, I shouldn't say life, but the whole time I've been in ministry, through Bible college, through residency, all this, there's a certain set of rules that as, as a senior pastor or a, going into a senior pastor role that are, are there and you do not want to break these rules. One of them is, you never replace a founding pastor. Number two, you never replace a long-term pastor. Number three, you never replace a pastor who's not going to leave. <laughs> and I found out very quickly that we were potentially breaking all three of those rules. And another one is, if you're going to do a transition job, don't pick one that lasts more than 12 months because there's a good chance the senior pastor will change his mind some point during that, that time frame. Those were some of the rules that I had heard, I think, from Todd Clark, who helped me find this job to begin with. But I could tell very quickly in that very first conversation, I don't think I have to worry about any of those rules with Brad and with this eldership. And when I got here in, in, in June of 21, um, the, the time frame had kind of shifted from 12 to 18 months to what's well, going to be 18 to 24 months. And here's what we want you to do. When you first get here, you're going to preach once a month, and that's it. And I'm like, um... I can do stuff, like, I have capabilities, like, I've, no, no, just, just go have lunch with people, spend time with people. Well, those days where I didn't have lunch with somebody or something to do with somebody, I was bored to death, sitting in my office, writing a sermon that I might preach a few months later, and, 
And uh, so that's kind of how it developed. And, and the more it went on, the more he realized this was really a stroke uh, of just, I don't know if it's a stroke of genius is the right word, or just a stroke of really the elders and Brad were just so in tune with what God wanted for this church because the longer the transition went on, the better it was for me personally and for my wife. And, and we didn't realize coming out of Oregon how much we just needed a time to breathe to take our foot off a gas pedal and breathe. And, and, and so for those first few months, yeah, I preached once every month or three weeks or so, and by Thanksgiving of that first year, it had gone to 50-50. In July of last year, Brad handed off the preaching responsibilities to me in terms of setting the preaching calendar. I shifted into preaching the majority of the time. And I knew right then and there that I didn't know the exact date of the transition yet. We didn't set that till around October or November. But I knew that whatever date we set, there was a series I was going to do to start off. And, and, and the series that I wanted to start off with is very simple because I wanted to take the first six weeks after the transition date and share with you all six of the most key parts of this job for me. Six of what I, I call my personal ministry core values. I wanted to share them all with you all in the hope that these are our core values you all would embrace as a church collectively, but also individually in your personal walks or maybe as a family in your walks with Christ. And you may say, well, what's the big deal about core values? That sounds like some fancy buzzword that megachurches use or that businesses use. And yeah, they do. They do. But here's the point behind core values. We state them because they say what we value. And what you value determines what you do. And so for me, landing on, on these six statements lets you see a glimpse into what I would say maybe it is, is something I, I won't say that necessarily I care about the most, but what maybe I prioritize or focus on the most. But something about me, and you probably figured this out already, is that I don't just take, you know, something for, for what it is. I always take it a step further. I peel back the onion a little bit more. I press in just a little bit more. I look at it like a character trait for myself. My children do it, and it's obnoxious, you know. But for me, it's something that I just like to, to dig a little deeper. And so I took it a little bit further, and rather than just making uh, you know, a statement, I wanted to put it into an action statement. I wanted to add you know, verbs to these and make them really action-oriented because to me, value, uh, values are only valuable if you put them into action. If we just came up with really you know, well-thought-out core values, well-thought-out ideas, and we just put them on posters and put them out in the foyer and never did anything with them, then all we've done is just create some interior decoration. I wanted to put something down for all of us, for, for me as a pastor, for the staff, but for you all too, whether you've been here since day one or maybe today's your first day at Crossroads, maybe today's your first day at church. If so, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. But I wanted to put this down to give you a challenge and an encouragement on something I hope that we embrace and we move forward with as, as, as a church. And I took it another step further too. Because, again, I don't just leave things alone. I have to just kind of keep tinkering with them. Because I didn't want to just make this a simple action statement. Yes, they are action statements, but to take it a step further, I don't want to just say what I want to do. I want to say how I want to do it. Because the grammar nerd in me tells me that every verb needs an adverb. And that's where we came up with the title of this series called Adverbs. Several years ago, I sat down and was very intentional and very deliberate in writing these statements out. And, and it probably spent more time than I needed to at coming up with a specific adverb I wanted to use for each one. But that's the point of this series. That's what we're going to dive into as we kind of take this, this first step into this next new chapter here at Crossroads, is to see 
where my heart lies. So over the next six weeks, we're going to dive into what I call my personal ministry core values, and I want to invite you to, to walk this with me. Now, I'll, I'll say this. This isn't an exhaustive list. We may get through this list in a few weeks, and you may say, yeah, well, but what about such and such? I mean, that's great, and it's great that you value that. It just may not be as, as high on my list, or maybe it's kind of folded into one of the ones that I've already mentioned. Some of these can be umbrellas a little bit here, but I want you to understand something. These aren't radical changes. In fact, if you were to look at the list of core values Brad laid out, some of these are the same ones. Some of these stick out. Uh, some of these are, are not necessarily new, but maybe they're just worded a little bit different. As a church, we're not changing who we are. We're still a church that is very much focused on the Great Commission and introducing people to Jesus and helping them become disciples who make disciples. That's what this church has always been about. That's what this church will continue to be about. I want you to understand that. But my hope is that six weeks from now, you've got a good idea of, of where I'm taking my first few steps in this new role and, and where I hope as a church that we take these as well too. So today we're going to hit on this first statement. And I intentionally left in the, in the note sheet for you a long blank so you can fill this out and I'll give you time to fill it out. But here's our first statement today, that as a church, we will relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. That to me is at the top of my list, that we will relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. And I'll explain why that's at the top of my list here in just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul often does with his letters, he gives his introduction, he, he says who he is, he says who he's writing to, and then he states kind of the purpose of why he's writing, and then he goes into a, um, basically a prayer. And in his prayer for this Ephesian church, here's what he says in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and about your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's prayer of thanksgiving for his church here is so rich and it's so loving. He praises God for those in his church and for those under his care. Paul thanks God for those in his church and he says that he prays for them regularly. And to me, that's something that not just every good pastor should do, but every leader in a church should do. Our staff, I, we encourage each other to pray for the people of this church. You guys that are in the room, some, several of you are ministry team leaders. Some of you are elders in, the, in here. Are you praying for the people in this church and just thanking God for the people in this church on a regular basis? The rest of you. Maybe you're not a ministry team leader. Maybe you're not even serving on a team yet. Are you thanking God for the people at Crossroads? And it's easy to look around this room and see different faces, maybe people that you know well, maybe just a face you recognize, but are you thanking God for the 8 o'clock and the 1045 crowd as well too? The people that you may not even know. In fact, it's always fun for me to watch when we come together for the church picnic in June because some people go to the wrong, uh, last year we had some people go to the wrong place because they didn't even know who some of the people were. They said, I thought that was somebody from the 8 o'clock crowd. They didn't know who they were. They get introduced to each other while they're there. Are you thanking God for the people that call Crossroads home? But Paul moves on from there. He moves from expressing gratitude uh, about his followers to giving them an encouragement and a challenge. Look at verse 17. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, in his incomparably great power to those who believe. You see what he's asking here? 
He's praying that the people of God would get to know God more, that they would dive deeper with God. I think it's important for the church uh, to, to give thanks for its members, and I think it's important that we pray for our people on a regular basis, but just as important is that the church would encourage and challenge its members to grow to become more like God. That's ultimately what, what I, I feel like our top goal is here. That's why I made this our number one core value. And Paul's prayer here for the Ephesian church is just that, that they would receive the spirit of wisdom so they could understand more about God, so they could get to know more about God, so they could become more like God. That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for Crossroads. That's my prayer for all the churches across this area, that we would get to know more about him so we could become more like him. And it's so important for me, again, I made this the top core value here. I know that numbers are an easy metric to measure a church on, especially numbers that are here worshiping with us on a weekend. And I'll be very honest with you, probably more than I should, I obsess over numbers. I see them, I look at them, and I see where we're at compared to where we were or where we're at compared to maybe to other churches. And it's, it's not about comparison per se, but for me it's just a metric that we can measure with. And I will say this, I try not to be super obsessed with numbers, but I know that they're there. I know we're early in this year, about eight weeks into this year so far. But so far in 2023, we're averaging about 60 people more per Sunday than we did last year. So far. Now, I know that's early. And I know, yes, the beginning of the year is always high. It dips when the summer comes. We know that's coming. But that's encouraging. And yes, there are numbers, but every number represents a person. Every number represents a life, it represents a story, it represents a soul. They can be one for Christ. But in the midst of numbers, we can't get so caught up in them that we lose sight of, of what we need to do with each one of those. And so for me, if, if we accomplish nothing more of, as a church than leading the people who are here to know more about God and becoming more like God, then at least I feel like we've accomplished something that we should be accomplishing. Yes, we want to go out and we want to make more disciples. That's what the Great Commission tells us to do. But a disciple is somebody who comes to know God and follows God. And so whether we're 50 people or 5,000, we need to be diving more in and learning more about God's divine character and about God's being and about who he truly is because when we have the knowledge, we find the desire to come to Jesus and we follow him. If we're doing that, then we're on the right track. And for me, it's obviously not the only thing that we value here because we're going to talk more about that the next five weeks. We've got a, a six-week series here. But that's why it's at the top of my list. So my goal as, as a pastor, our goal as a church, it's to get you to know God so you can come to follow him. Because here's the truth, you can't follow who you don't know. Or maybe we could actually say this a little different way. You shouldn't follow who you don't know. We still do it, right? We, we follow people all the time. We follow leaders in our world, politicians or celebrities or whoever it might be. We follow them because we like what they're telling us, but we don't really truly know them. If we did, we probably wouldn't follow them. But with God, the more we can dive in, the more we can get to know him, the more we spend time with him on a regular basis, the more likely we are to follow him and realize how much we need him in our lives. It's kind of like dating. Jennifer and I are coming up this June on 14 years of, of being married. Our story goes back a little over a year before that, uh, but uh, we'd known each other forever, since high school pretty much, uh, but we started talking to one another. She was in Africa 
doing missions. I was kind of by myself in Oklahoma. We started talking to each other back, kind of date myself here on MSN Messenger. Some of you might remember that, that old uh, you know, chestnut that we used to have. In the early days of Facebook Messenger, we would just communicate kind of in our little pockets of time that we had with a, with a massive time difference that, that we could find talking almost every day for several months, and then she came back home from Africa at the end of summer that year, and we spent every day together. And very quickly, we became best friends, just because we were together all the time, and eventually we became more than best friends, and eventually we fell in love with one another, and eventually I realized I need this person in my life permanently. But I came to that realization because of the time I spent with her, every day talking to her, every day spending time around her. And folks, the same thing is, applies to our relationship with God. When you spend time with him daily, you're going to get to know him more and more every day. You're going to realize how much you need him. And it's in that that you find meaning in your life. But too often, we're seeking meaning in the world around us. We're seeking meaning in ourselves. We're seeking meaning in, in what we can define and what we can see around us. And, and we base that in our identity. And our identity is often determined by the world around us. And so we'll determine our identity based on our interests or our hobbies or skills or, or maybe our political affiliation or our socioeconomic status or maybe which football team we root for. That's where we often find our identity. But Paul has made it very clear in Ephesians We should strive to gain wisdom and more revelation about God by gaining more knowledge about him, by coming to a greater appreciation about him through the grace that he supplied for us through Jesus. So you may say, well, this is a great statement. This is a great topic. What in the world do we do with this? This seems like a really, really big topic for one sermon, Kurt. And yeah, it is. It's one that it could be probably a class at a Bible college over a semester, So how do we package this in a sermon? Let me give you three really, really quick just kind of thoughts on this. And I'll I'll say this kind of from the beginning. These are three thoughts that not only can, probably have been sermon series. So I'm going to kind of hit on these quick. I'm not diving deep into these, but my hope is that I kind of just point you in the direction where you can dive deeper into some of these topics on your own. Because again, some of these we've preached entire series on, or I might in the future one of these days. But three ways I think you can start to relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. Here's the first. Look beyond what you can see and look to God instead. Look beyond what you can see and look to God instead. This is very hard because you can see what you can see. And you can't see what you can't see. Follow me for more nuggets of wisdom later on, okay? That's... Stuff you didn't know before and you couldn't live without. So now you know, okay? But what's it mean? It means that we're human. It means that we like to take care of things ourselves. We like to, we, we like to know what we have. We like to be able to see it and identify it and hold it in our hands. Just like I said earlier, this is often how we identify ourselves. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm something else. Or uh, around here, you're like, you all tend to say, I'm a Jayhawk or I'm a Wildcat for some reason. Or, uh, you know, we might all say that we're Chiefs fans or whatever it may be. We have those marks that we identify ourselves with. But as a follower of Jesus, the Bible's very clear on what we do identify as. It tells us that we're a child of God, that we're a friend of Christ. And because of that, we can see why we were created and how we were created and what that means to us today. 
John chapter one, John says that to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I love how he says that they're children not of natural descent, but born of God. Children who are identified as one thing, the son and daughter of God. I can identify myself in so many different ways, and I could just tell you one statement about myself, and that will help you on your own come up with, with a whole just tapestry of identity for me. I could tell you that I was born in Oklahoma in 1982 to a man named Kelly and a woman named Kathleen. And right there, you've got a, you've got a statement that you can do a lot with. What's that tell you? I'm an Okie. I'm a firstborn. I'm a borderline Gen X millennial. I, I uh, am, am a son. I could go on and on. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a nephew. Keep, keep going. I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm a, uh, all these different things that are out there. Caucasian, middle class, whatever. <laughs> we have these labels and every one of them gives you some way not just to identify me or identify with me, but what to do with that. How to interact with me or how to approach me or how I can approach you or what to expect from me. And you can identify yourself in the same way. There are tools out there for that. That's what the world does for us. It gives us these ways that we can identify ourselves. And too often, that's really truly where we find who we think that we really are. But what's the Bible say? How does God identify me? Well, God identifies me like this. He calls me the salt of the earth. He calls me the light of the world. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 calls me a new creation. Or in Romans 8, calls me more than a conqueror. Or also in Romans 8, one of the best ones, he calls me a co-heir with Christ. And you know what? All these, they apply to you too. You're a follower of Jesus, he's applied to you too. And when I start looking at these statements that Jesus made or his apostles made on his behalf, I start to focus more on who I am rather than what I do or what I enjoy. A lot of those labels I can give myself and identifying marks I can give myself are what I'm good at or what I enjoy doing, like a deer hunter or a golfer or, or whatever. That's how you can identify yourself sometimes, but that's just stuff I like to do. No, this is who I am. This is who God created me to be, the person he created me to be. And if you want to relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God, you have to start learning to let go of what the world says about you and the world shows you and look to God instead and dive deeper into who he created you to be. It's learning to let go of what the world says about you and learning to embrace who you are as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's the first way that we do this. Here's the second thought I've got in terms of how we can relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. You immerse yourself in communication with God. You just dive as deep as you can into communication with him. At Crossroads, one of my challenges to every one of you, wherever you're at on your walk with Christ, is that you would spend time every single day in the word and also spend time in prayer. We've got some, some tools out here on the, the wall right outside these double doors that help you read the Bible every day, whether that's reading through the Bible in, in a year or whether that is, is, is just a plan to, to give you something to read on a daily basis because we want you to dive into this Word of God, but also how to pray, how to pray every single day. Often our prayer life is, is a list of requests that, that we bring to God, and I don't want to dive too deep into this topic of prayer today because I preached on it a few weeks ago. 
And Brad preached on it last summer pretty in depth. You can, you can go back and watch either one of those sermons. But I just want to talk about it in this particular context today because prayer, it's not just about what we give to God. It's what prayer does to us in return. Soren Kierkegaard was a 19th century theologian. And here's what he said about prayer. He said, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. And for me, I've heard this statement uh, so many times. I've read this statement a dozen times. But every time I reread it or hear it again, it just hits me all over again. When I pray, am I trying to change God's mind? Am I trying to talk God into something like my kids do with me? You know, my, my, my oldest or my youngest, Titus, does not take no for an answer. He'll ask you for something, and until you do it for him, he will continue to ask over and over. And sometimes we're the same way with God. We're trying to talk him into something or change his mind. And I'll be honest, that's, that's my prayer life a lot of the time. I'm praying because I have a need, or I know somebody out like, like one of you guys has a need, and I want to pray with you and for you on that. And so my prayer list just becomes telling God what to do or asking God that he would do it for me. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to bring our needs to God. He tells us to bring our needs to God. He invites us to bring our needs to him. But prayer needs to be much more than a wish list. It's much more than, than like we're children sitting on Santa's lap telling him what we want for Christmas. It's so much deeper than that. Prayer is going to the God of all creation and allowing him to mold you to become the person he created you to be, to change you from your very core so that everything about you reflects his image. I love what Paul writes in Romans 12 when he tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. In Romans 12 too, He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those last eight words right there are eight of the most powerful words in Scripture that I hope we hold on to and I hope you really truly say on a regular basis, God, help me to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Don't let my mind define me. Let you define everything about me and then mold me and make me into this. Paul's point is that as we seek God, as we dive into a deeper and more transforming relationship with him, our goal and our focus should be on giving up whatever garbage and baggage that we have, pushing that all to the side, whatever, whatever constructs of this world that we have around us, we would push all of that aside and focus on God. And focus on him alone. Because when we do that, we can grow into the person, the man, the woman that he created us to be. We can't do that on our own. But only when we start with daily communication with him. Here's our third step. Our third key to relentlessly pursuing a deeper and more transforming relationship with God is that we trust the spirit to direct our lives. Trust the spirit to direct our lives. Uh, this is, again, when we preached a whole series on this last summer about finding God's will and how, how to seek God's will in all that you do. And so I don't, again, want to just camp out on this topic for too long. But what I want to talk about here is just very briefly the reminder that God created you. And because God created you, has a plan for your life that is better than anything you could come up with on your own. 
I told you earlier that, that I was going through a frustrating stretch of, of doors slamming in my face and, and not knowing what God had for me. And I remember one time even telling Jennifer, God owes me an explanation for this. And it was funny because she goes, well, good luck getting that one. And looking back, I know why those doors were slammed, because the right one hadn't opened yet. Because this door hadn't opened yet. And this is where God wanted me. For, for whatever reason, God brought me to, to the Kansas side of the Kansas City area, and I'm so glad that he did. And getting to know you all and become part of this family, part of this body here, it reminds me that despite how well I think I know myself, God knows me better. I know that, but every once in a while I need that reminder. My kids are kind of the same way. They, they want different things. I ultimately know what they need better than they do because I've been there. I've walked where they're walking. I'm like my oldest getting ready to step into middle school. I remember those days. I remember what I went through, and she's so much like me. We were created in God's image that sometimes he points us in directions that we don't even know where it's going. We don't know what's on the other end, and what's on the other end is something we couldn't even imagine. So we trust in him anyway. Early in the Old Testament, God calls a man by the name of Abram. And he tells him to leave his home country and leave his family and go to a place that he is completely unfamiliar with, that he doesn't know anything about. And he tells him that he's going to bless him. And he makes this, this multi-part promise to Abraham. And he promises him a son. And I love in Genesis 15, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God considered Abram, or as he's later called Abraham, to be righteous, to be holy, to be set apart, virtuous, just morally right and upstanding, all because of the faith Abraham had. Think about that for just a second. Not because necessarily of great things he did, simply because he believed God. I hope that if nothing else, at the end of my life, I can be described as somebody who believed God. Not believed in God, but believed God. God, trusted him, followed him, and was faithful to him because he was faithful to me. And, and if I do that, I just imagine the places that God's going to take me and take us as a church. I don't know where they are. Places beyond what I can imagine. Places beyond things that I can even stop and think about when I'm trying to figure out where God wants us to go next. And I know some of those may be places I may not even see. They may, they may come to fruition after my time is gone. That's what he did with Abraham. If you don't know much about Abraham's story, in Genesis 12, God promises him several things, but three in particular stick out. He promised him a son. He promised that a great nation would come from him. And he promised the entire world would be blessed because of him. Well, what we see is that 25 years later, he finally gets... I was uh, thinking about this this week. About three years ago, that I, I... Years later, that the nation is formed through his offspring. And it's 2,000 years later that the world is blessed through, I was uh, from the line of Abraham. But yet Abraham trusted God to lead and guide his life. In the New Testament, we see this with the Apostle Paul, who was a very uh, headstrong person, a very confident person, somebody who would absolutely grab the bull by the horns and not hesitate to tell people how it was. Hey, this is how we're going to do it. Get on board or, or go somewhere else. But yet Paul, through all of that in the book of Acts, trusts the Spirit of God to lead him and guide him. He said, I would go when the Spirit told me to go. I would stay when the Spirit told me to stay. And that's how Paul directed his life. Are you willing to allow the Spirit to guide you? If you want a deeper and more transforming relationship with God, are you willing to allow the Spirit 
to take over your life and to lead you in a direction that you're going that you may not even know exists just yet? Will you allow the Spirit to help you grow, to allow you to become a a bigger part, make a bigger impact on the kingdom of God around you? I'll kind of say it like this. When you allow God to direct your path, you'll be able to step further with him into your walk with Christ. And when I think about that, that's something that I hope we all step further into. All of us are on a walk with him. Maybe you haven't taken that first step yet, but you're about to. Maybe you're thinking about it. Maybe you've been walking with him for, for decades. I know some of you have been walking with Christ longer than I've been alive. How much can we continue to walk with him? What's your next step? And can you trust him to allow you to take it even if you don't know where your foot's going to hit the ground? That's our our first thought today, though. With this series called Adverbs, looking at these core values, that we want to relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. It's my hope, it's my desire it's my, my, my passion and my, my core belief that everyone who comes to Crossroads and calls at home, if you're new here or if you've been here since day one, that you would be passionate as well about moving closer to God, getting to know him more, and becoming more like him. We preach Jesus because of this reason. I preach as much straight out of the Bible as I possibly can for that very reason. Because I want you to know who he is and who he was and who he will be so that we can follow him more. So that as a body of individual believers, we can come together as one collective and we can strive to change our habits so we can become much more like Jesus. And we do this knowing that it's a path that will never fully finish. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, there's still something you can learn about Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this, while it's good that we Uh, see to know the Holy One, it's probably not so good to presume that we'll ever complete the task. What's he mean by that? He, He means that we can never fully understand God. If you were ever able to fully understand God or fully grasp every single word and meaning and master the word of, 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 of God, you wouldn't need him. You wouldn't have any use for him anymore. And so God's always going to remain just a little bit of a mystery as long as we're on this side of heaven. And that should be encouragement to dive deeper every day. You could have every Bible college degree known to man, and yet every time you open it, you can be introduced to something new. You could worship every second of every day and spend every second of every day in prayer, and yet every time you're introduced to God, there's something new. That's what's so wonderful about God. And we may never, we may never master him this side of heaven, but we will relentlessly pursue it. So here's a takeaway thought for you today. Spend some more time with Jesus this week. Whatever capacity that is, prayer, scripture reading, small group time, whatever it may be, whatever you do, just spend a little bit more time. Tack on 10 minutes to your prayer time. Tack on a little uh, deeper dive into your Bible reading time. Get to know him a little bit more so we can pursue him even greater. Let's pray. Father, we are are so grateful for Jesus. So grateful for your son that you gave to us. And God, we're grateful too for the challenge that you gave us along with that to get to know him. God, I know it's something that we will never master. But God, I want to do it anyway. I want to do it anyway. I, I know just in my own personal life, I cannot get enough of you. 
And God, I pray for everybody across this room or watching online, they would have that same thought. Maybe somebody's here today and they haven't made that decision to follow you. You would just reveal yourself to them. Speak into their heart. Not so they could make some rash emotional decision, but God, that you would just remind them, I am here for you and I always will be. God, maybe it's somebody who is visiting today and they're checking crossroads out. I'm grateful that they're here. God, maybe it's somebody who has been walking with you for most of their life. Just always encourage them. There's always something new you can learn tomorrow. So help us, Lord. Help us to never give up our pursuit and our chase of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.